thank you for being here in person, online, those of you joining us. I want to do something right now. I want to read, I want to read one verse to you um, that Paul wrote that early in his letter, his second letter to the Corinthians. And I want to read this verse because it really sets the stage for what Paul talks about over the course of, uh, over a chapter. And um, it is just so practically relevant to, to what I know so many are going through right now. And if you're on our email list, you, uh, you have an idea where this is headed already because you got it the other day. But let me, just, let me just read this. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Now, you read that, and, and that's one of those verses that um, it often gets lumped in with like everything that comes after it, and, and rightfully so. But the amazing thing isn't that Paul, the apostle, is saying this. I mean, you'd expect him to say something like this. You know, um, it, it just, it, it makes sense. It lines up. This is what we expect of people who, who follow Jesus. What's amazing about this statement up here is, is when Paul is saying this. And if you were here last week, you understand a bit of the context about when Paul is saying this. When is he saying this? He's in the middle of trial, He's in the middle of suffering, he's in the middle of affliction, and he is yet, he's able to point at his conscience and boast. And this isn't like boast like bragging, this is boast like, I have confidence, and I have assurance, and I, my, my conscience is actually at peace when I think about how we have handled ourselves during this time of trial. Now, that's a pretty incredible statement when you think about it for a moment, because when trial comes along, it does some things to us, which we'll get to in a moment. But I believe that's probably the biggest misunderstanding I had for years after I came to trust what Jesus did on my behalf at the cross. Because I assumed at Easter that, that um, an empty tomb and resurrection power, as we've, as we've been talking about with staying power, I assumed that it meant that I could just overpower everything in my way. And as time went on, I realized that resurrection life and resurrection power really wasn't about overpowering a bunch of stuff. Some of it was just that I was barely sitting above being overwhelmed, just barely making it through. And sometimes we picture resurrection power and we think just smoothing everything out in front of us. When really, when you look at Paul's life, I mean, you just name it. It's like imprisonment and it's shipwreck and then it's imprisonment and it's shipwreck. And soon you're like, Paul, stop getting on boats, okay? Because this is creating an issue for you. But over and over you realize it, it may not be smoothing everything out. But it's just the power to stay in the things we'd rather smooth out. Or to go through the things that we'd much rather get around. And so we're looking at his second letter to the Corinthians. Because if any letter brings that forth of all his letters, it is second Corinthians. It's so personal to him. So let me come back to the beginning of this verse because I want, I want you to see something again. He says this. Now this is our boast. And as we said a moment ago, this is what we take confidence in. Our conscience. Our conscience testifies. You know the first thing that might tell you you're off? If we've got a clear or somewhat clear conscience, it's the conscience. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you. And we'll get to what he's, where he's going next in a moment. 
But we talked about trials last week, right? We talked about some of you, you're in the trial. Some of you are past the trial. Some of you are beside the trial that somebody else is walking through right now. But Paul is starting to shed light about some of his trials here. And what he's getting at is there's a very relational trial. Now I want you to just think about that. How many of you would say that the current trial you're in, the trial you just got through, or the trial you're walking next to is people-related? Just show of hands. How many would you say it's uh, it's a people thing? Yeah, I mean, there are all different kinds, but at any given time, we're all at risk of going through a trial that's people-related. And we all just face it. It's just going to happen. And and as as I once was told by someone very wise, that relationships are the thing we need the most, but they're the hardest thing to maintain. And so we get, we go through trial. Now, here's the thing about trials of any kind. It will create a fog right in front of you. And and what I mean by that is you will not be able to see a thing. None of us sees clearly. And the other thing about that fog is nobody can see our situation clearly. And if if there are a few different things that we will just run to avoid in the midst of trial, there's three things. One is being misunderstood. One is being uncomfortable. And one is being alone. I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be alone. And so that sets us up for some very unique challenges and some very unique compromises. First, being misunderstood. I mean, isn't it, isn't it true that at some point in the middle of sensing you've been misunderstood, what, what's that thing that we do? We want to go chase people and we want to explain, right? I just, I just want to give you the picture. I want to straighten out your perception of me just so that you think I'm okay, right? And so we, we go do this. I, I will never forget Um, I actually stand before you nearly a convicted felon this morning, okay? Because of something that happened in 2016. 2016, it was election day. And on election day, we had filled out our ballots at home and there's a post office nearby. So I drove over there to drop our ballots in the box. And I'm getting getting closer to the box and you've got all these signs and I see some election officials and security around. And, you know, you're not supposed to say or do or promote any candidate or party within, I think it's 100 feet of a polling location, something like that. Well, I see this guy, if, if you haven't heard, 80 times out of my mouth, I'm a Michigan Wolverines fan. I say, that's right. <laughs> Nobody cheers when I say that. That's, I have an ally in here. All right, so this guy walks out in a Michigan hoodie. Now, what do Michigan fans say to each other when they see each other? We say, go blue. So I yelled, go blue. You seeing the problem here? And this election official, those guys are no joke. They're like the the forest rangers. No offense to forest rangers. They're way scarier than, than anybody else. Anyway, this guy comes out of nowhere and he's like, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. $100,000 fine, 25 years in jail. And, and immediately, what do I do? First, a roundhouse kicked him, okay? I actually, I made that up, but I imagined it. But I, it's just, you, you want to explain, no, 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 he's, he's got a hoodie, and look at his shirt, and this is what Michigan fans do, and he's just... So, I could easily not be here right now, just so you know. But this is what we do. We, we want to explain and explain and explain and explain. And it's because we're looking for validation from those next to us. Well... Second thing you go through when a trial comes up is just there's also a heat to the trial. 
I mean, it's that thing that makes us so uncomfortable. It's this thing that makes me love to give the advice, just walk in the tension when somebody's going through a tough time, but I don't like to take that advice. None of us does. When we're told to be patient, to hang in there, to stay with it, that is not enjoyable. And as we'll see in Paul's case, Paul's actually not going to do what he, he originally thought he was going to do. They thought he was coming to visit him. They thought he was coming to visit them, I mean. And he changed his mind. And he decided it was better for them that he didn't come to them. So he was writing this letter. And Paul was accused of not being a man of his word. Now, the discomfort of that, when we know that we've upset somebody... Doesn't it cause us to maybe compromise? Sometimes we'll go back on our decision. Sometimes we'll uh, maybe pander to their opinion of things. We'll get to that in a moment. But oftentimes, it's not just that we don't want to be misunderstood. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And so it's easy to lower our standard. It's easy to lower the standard of the way we act and maybe even character in order to accommodate and, and maybe be perceived in a better light in other people's eyes. Those of you who golf know this. This is why I don't golf. But I can't tell you how many of you I listened to, and the goal was to shoot a 70-something, but then that, when it became clear halfway through, you know, your, your golf, I don't golf, what is it? Tournament, game, match, anyway. It, it became clear when you got through it, you were going to shoot into the 80s, 90s, and 100s. And you went, you know what, I have more fun shooting, shooting higher anyway. I just have more fun. I just like it better. This is why I don't golf, because I'd golf in like the 200s. But anyway, we just lower the standard because we don't want to be uncomfortable. But then also, we don't want to be alone, right? We like to look around and say, okay, I'm going through a tough time. And immediately, this is a human nature thing. This is not a selfish thing. It's a human nature thing. We instantly go, who's for me? Who's on my side? Who can I get to see things the way I see them so that they will understand and they will just, it'll almost be like an echo chamber that I can just feel good about it. This is what comes up in trial a lot of the time. And you want, you want to know why we do all this? Because we want peace. We want the peace of knowing that that trial is, is over. That we've somehow resolved the trial. And so it's a remarkable statement when Paul, in the midst of his critics coming at him and the trials he's gone through, and earlier in the chapter he's pointing back at another trial that we looked at last week. In the middle of all that, Paul says, you know what, when I think about how I've acted through all this, my conscience is clear. I am at peace in how I've conducted myself in the world and with you. But that's no small statement, because as we just said, our, our trials, you know what they will do? Trials can create a complexity in front of us that can lead to a compromise inside of us. Trials will throw up a fog, create all kinds of complexity, all kinds of issues, all kinds of drama, all kinds of details, that because we don't want to be uncomfortable, we don't want to be misunderstood, we don't want to be alone, we can compromise inside. And oftentimes, we can compromise our very character as followers of Christ. Now, years ago, years and years ago, I remember uh, we we would take these winter retreats with the youth group here at the church to Pagosa Springs. And we'd rent a house or two down there and we'd go stay there. And it was just a, a great time, great time to relax and replenish a little bit in the middle of the school year. And so we would take these retreats 
And I remember one year, um, you know, we would take these speakers, and they're not like computer speakers. I mean, these, are, these weighed like 40 or 50 pounds, a big box of a speaker. And a couple leaders are taking in this speaker. We're not even there 10 minutes. They get to the speaker, the speaker to the living room to put it up on this stand, and it slips out of their hands. And there's a gash in the wall. Now, what does it take to reserve a vacation house for a group? A damage deposit. Okay, this particular damage deposit was $1,000. And 10 minutes into being in the house, I'm going, there it goes. It's gone. I can like hear it going out the door right now. It is out of here. Well, I'm sitting, sitting there fretting. I don't even know. I don't know how the kids got into the house. I don't know how anything happened because I'm just staring. And I'm going, for the sake of this conversation, this is my trial now. <laughs> and there's this hole in the wall. And this kid, Tyson, Tyson's... He was part of the youth group, and Tyson comes up, and he's just got a grin on his face. And I'm going, why are you smiling? This is, this is horrible. This is terrible. I'm ready to pack us all up and go home. He's like, I got an idea. So he goes and grabs a bowl. He puts some flour in the bowl, puts some water in the bowl, and he just starts mixing this paste. And then he just starts patching this hole in the wall. And the whole time, you know what I'm thinking? One, that's really creative. That's like God-gifted right there. The issue wasn't Tyson's. The issue was mine. You know what else I was thinking? It's kind of like, remember in the cartoons, you got one for good sitting on this shoulder and one for, for evil on this shoulder. And I'm watching this and I'm just thinking, this is not right. This is totally not right because it's just not right. And then it started to look really, really good. And it looked a little light, so he goes out and he puts a little dirt in there to match the beige of the wall. And suddenly I was like, man, I I hope this works. This is going to be amazing if we can pull this off. Now, more to that story in a moment, but this is what happens to us. See, we're so clear when it's somebody else's trial, aren't we? When we see whether it's a relational rift or there's just a trial that came out of left field, it's so much easier to be clear and have clarity on on next steps or some, some guidance for them. But when it's us... We are so vulnerable to compromise, which is why Paul, as he moves through this verse, just the next couple words that he says, it it puts two things. It it shows us two things he had on his radar that we've got to have on our radar. Here's what he says. He says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word integrity, and in some translations of the Bible, it says simplicity, others it says holiness. But when I hear those words, those are kind of those vague, like sound good words. But when I hear those, I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking much about what they mean. But if you were to look at the Greek wording here, the meaning of integrity or simplicity and sincerity really gets at the idea of of being together. I don't mean with people, I mean held together inside. Like there's no duality within us. No division inside of us. Integrity is, we're integrated. We're held together inside. And Paul looked at how he conducted himself in the world and with people. And he said, yes, I've gone about this with integrity. But also with sincerity. I've come from a very authentic place as I've handled you guys, as I've dealt with you guys. And if anybody was at risk... 
for being a divided person as he dealt with people, it was absolutely Paul. Because we know what his character was like before he met Jesus, don't we? In fact, you could probably look back at your own life or you could think around or you could think about the people around you. Don't point at them right now that you think, well, I remember you before you knew Jesus. Where where you would go, gosh, which version of them am I going to get today? Which version of them am I going to get in the middle of trial? And Paul said, my conscience is clear because I am going to be the same person that I was the day I met Jesus in dealing with you. For us, that would be the same version of ourselves that's here right now on Sunday morning. That's what people get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the rest of the week. Paul says it's integrity and sincerity that I've dealt with, dealt with you with. Now, maybe a better understanding of those words is to look at actually their opposites. Because if you were to look at their ob- opposites, what you'd have opposite of integrity is really that duality that we talked about, a dividedness. And that opposite of sincerity, deceit. See, what Paul's getting at is that not just he, but every single one of us, we've got a choice in how we handle people and we handle ourselves in the midst of trial and suffering and with other people and in the world. And he says, listen, what, what place, what place have I come from? My conscience can testify that I have come from a place where I am whole. Because really what he's getting at is the acknowledgement that because of what Jesus did for me, I am whole. And I operate from a much fuller place than I ever would have before. But this is the battle. See, when we make a compromise in the middle of a trial, you know what we do? We cross that line from integrity and sincerity over to duality and deceit. And we can begin to manipulate things. And we can begin to manufacture things. And we try to make it look a certain way. And as I just sat with this, one of the things that jumped out so much is that whatever trial we face currently or just came through or next time, you're going to go through a trial either at peace or in pieces. And, and, And I mean literally in pieces because trials, if we compromise, can fragment us. And we bring less of who God intended us to be to those trials every single time. When we go through trials, we can go through them at peace or in pieces. Now, let me come back to this Pagosa trip. So the morning came, it was time to go. And that bus out there, if you haven't seen it, that white bus out there at the other end of the parking lot, we'd always gas it up before the trip home and it it only takes 18 hours to fill up. And so actually it's not the bus, it's the 60 to 70 high schoolers getting in and out of the gas station. That's That's what seems to take 18 hours. But while they're at the gas station, one of the parent chaperones drove me in the van to the, uh, the management office for this property. And I had to return the keys. And uh, this parent chaperone pulled up and said, so what are you going to do? And it was, here it was again. Hmm. I mean, it looks so good. The wall looks so good. They would never know. I mean, I was sitting there thinking Tyson could build entire houses out of flour and water. That's how good it was. And they'd hold together till it rained in Pagosa Springs. But I'm just thinking, ah. And then I just was reminded. And it's really a variation of this verse. And it wasn't this verse, but something that so many who are, who are seasons of life ahead of me, who have been mentors, my own parents, this phrase popped into my mind. You do the right thing and you trust God with the outcome. 
You do the right thing and you trust God with the outcome. Now, before you go, oh, that is awesome. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. I remember thinking, this is a death sentence right now. So I walked in and immediately, what do you think kicked in? Don't want to be misunderstood. Don't want to be uncomfortable. Don't want to be alone. So immediately I'm like starting my speech with the guy. Hey, so um, listen, we just, it was high school kids, you know, and he's like, what happened? He's like, every time somebody comes in here and starts telling a story, something happened. And I was like, here's the keys. There's a hole in the wall. But you won't find the hole in the wall because we covered it up with water and flour, really solid ingredients. He's like, wow, I've, I've never heard that one. He said, I'll be in touch. And there's more to the story that we'll get to in a moment. But you know what happened as we drove away from that office? While the externals were so uncertain and they weren't figured out, and yeah, I mean, when it comes to a scale of trials, this was this big compared to what any one of you and even me on a daily basis do face. But this was this big looking back. But you know what happened, even though that was uncertain? Driving away inside. (sighs) There's peace. There's peace. I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm sure I've been misunderstood. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to be alone in it. But you do the right thing, and you trust God with the outcome. And as we drove away, I just went, you know what? Even if we got to lose the damage deposit, I can live with myself. Actually, it's what Paul said. My conscience can testify that I walked this with integrity and sincerity. Now, that's not yay, Nathan, because I was this close to hiding it and, and covering it up. I still wonder if they ever would have found it. Anyway, so Paul goes on. And the reason Paul goes on is because that's the point where many of us stop. And it's easy to look at his words, integrity and sincerity. And you know what we do? Our our very human way of of, uh, meeting those standards. We do this thing called behavior modification. If I could just achieve that, you want to know how you know? Consider your reading list. Think about the past number of books you've read. See, there's this, there's this market for, and this draw toward, this, this like self-help, this self-help emphasis. And, and it's not all gone awry, but there is a lot that it just puts so much emphasis on us. I mean, it means well, it means for life, but where it's misguided is, misguided is the source. It tends to make us think that we are the ones who make ourselves whole. That we're the ones who are going to make it happen. Or as Paul's words are, we're the ones who are going to meet integrity and sincerity. But Paul has something to say about that. He says, we've done so, referring to the integrity and the sincerity and, and how they conducted themselves. We've done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Now, Grace is another one of those big words where you hear it and it's like, gosh, that's so big and that's so vague. And what do I do with that? You, you want to know what I think it comes down to? Paul understood that he lived in light of God's presence and his accountability to God. That yes, there are faces in front of him that were criticizing him, but that they were not the final say on who he is or where he was going or what his plans were or what his decisions needed to be. Paul looked back and he remembered that he, was not, he did not have to live from a fragmented place because he was made whole right there in what Jesus did at the cross. And you and I have been made whole right there in what Jesus did at the cross. 
And when you get that on the inside, when you trust in that on the inside, you know what? You start living from a completely different place. You begin to live with this integrity that Paul talks about. And you begin to live with godly sincerity that honestly, your best behavior modification plan on your best day with a life coach will not get you to. It just won't. And, and with, with his trial swirling around him, with everything that had gone sideways, Paul was able to say, my conscience, I can have confidence. I can be at peace. One translation says even my glory, my glory is what my conscience testifies to. That I've behaved, that I've acted, that I've conducted myself in the world and with people from a place of wholeness, not a divided, fragmented place. Now, three weeks went by. We got back from Pagosa Springs. Three weeks went by, and I just, if ever there was a picture of grace, it was the envelope I got in the mail. And the envelope I got, excuse me, in the mail here at the church had a check from the management company for $972 and some odd cents. Little note said, listen, the damage was not as bad as we thought it was. And then I got an email and it said, by the way, if the kid that you told me who patched the wall with the flour and water ever needs a job, send him our way. (laughs) And I was reminded, I was reminded we can trust in our ability to hold it all together or we can rely on the assurance that we are held together. See, this is what Paul's getting at. I could compromise integrity. I could manufacture. I could manipulate. I could be less than sincere. And I could try to hold it all together. Or I could rely on God's grace. This is tied to what we talked about a couple weeks ago. The Holy Spirit. It's a power you have, but even bigger than that. It's a power that has you. And that is absolutely true of the grace of God. In fact, you know, you know what Paul wanted more than the peaceful resolution, the peace that comes from the resolution of his trial? You know what he wanted more than that peace? Grace. He wanted to know intimately and experience grace and to experience just how rich it was. You know what he got in the end? Both. You know what happens when you and I run past grace and we rely on worldly wisdom and, and we, we come from a divided place and a deceitful place, you know, you know what we end up with? Neither. Neither. And it's not that the grace isn't there. It's just that we don't experience it. We're not attuned to it. And for Paul, his trials didn't go away. In fact, they were still there, but it was as if they had no effect on him. Now, As I think about everybody in this room, as I think about the multitude of trials that you're going through, it could very well be that staying power is staying in the trial and staying in the situation. It could be. But you can know that grace holds you. Some of you, your situation may be like Paul. It turned out Paul wasn't coming back to Corinth. Paul was going to, he was going to be fine with a letter, but he understood that he didn't have to go explain everything that he didn't, have to, he didn't have to pander to them. He didn't have to go through this in pieces. He could go through this with perfect peace because grace held him. And so that might be the case for you. It may be that this trial moves into the rearview mirror and it informs you for walking forward. 
Because instead of, instead of relying on worldly wisdom, you now rely on God's grace. Now, for the next chapter, Paul explains how that looks with his critics. And if you're on our email list, you got this the other day. But I'd urge you, read from the middle of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 to the middle of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And you'll see it come out. And again, you, you already read this, hopefully, if you're on the email list. See, this is why you get on the email list, because then you don't have to come to church and know how the sermon ends, okay? But for Paul, it was three things. He said, in trial, I pay attention to my conscience, the clear conscience. And if you don't sense that your conscience is all that clear, that it could use a little work, find somebody. Find somebody that you know has that conscience of Christ. He said, it's a clear conscience when it comes to my conduct. That grace also brings a consistency to my message. With Paul, it never changed. It never changed. Paul's message was always the same. Christ crucified. Ultimate grace for us. And finally, this is where I think he pulls ahead of a lot of us. It led to concern for his critics. I mean, how many of us can say that? Concern for the ones putting us through trial. And it may not be being their best buddy, but it may be just at a place of peace with where they're at and where you're at. And so, all that said, as the worship team comes back up, would you be reminded that the, the implications of grace are very real? They're very real. That the Holy Spirit is something not just that we have, it has us. That grace is not just something we possess and utilize, but it has us. We'll pick up there next week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your patience with us, your incredible, incredible patience. And the, the reason I ask or I say that is because as I look around at our trials, we so easily forget. We so easily begin coming up with our ideas on how we're going to get around it, how we're going to get past it, how we're going to smooth it out. And yet you are a God who faithfully sticks next to us, who you already know we're just going to go through it, but you promise us and you remind us you are right here with us. It is your grace. And so Lord, I pray that whatever the trial, whether it's people related or not, Would you give us eyes for your grace? Would you give us the peace, the deeper peace that comes, not from just smoothing out our trials, but the peace that comes from knowing we are held in the grip of grace? Write that on our hearts this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.